Well, as humans, we love to have something to look forward to, don't we? Uh, just go into the first aisle in Tesco and it'll show you that throughout the year we need different things to keep us going. Whether it is decorations for um, Halloween, whether it's getting our garden ready in the summer, whether it's Christmas, we need something to keep us going. We need the weekend to keep us going through the week. We need um, the treat to get us through the diet. We need Christmas to get us through the dark winter nights. We need something to keep us going, don't we? Because what we think of the future directly affects the here and now. And if you take away any hope of a future from someone, then they are um, thrown into the depth of despair. When we come to the last part of, um, of the Apostles' Creed, and we read that last, the last two lines, we are saying this today, that we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. The end of the Apostles' Creed finishes with a glorious hope for a Christian. With the end of, um, of uh, this world and the life as we know it and the hope of forever. And when we grasp what the Bible teaches about heaven, when we grasp what it teaches about forever, it will give us a hope and a, and a, um, a help to keep going whatever we face in the here and now. You see, remember what I said. What we think about the future will directly affect what we are experiencing now. I've told you before about Louis Zamperini. There's a great book called Unbroken, and it's quite a big book, but it's, it, it um, doesn't take long to read because it's so exciting. It's a true story of uh, a pilot. He was a pilot in the Second World War. He was a, an Olympian as well. And what happened was, and there's loads of things that happens in his story, but one of those points that sticks out to me is that he crashed his plane into the sea, and he survived. And he ended up being a, a prisoner of war on this place where they called Execution Island. And everybody who went there, they did, you know, most people died. They did medical trials. They did horrible things to these prisoners. Uh, and, and they were taken there, and everybody expected them to die. Louis Zamperini, however, didn't die, and he was moved to another prisoner of war camp somewhere else. Now, when he was in this other prisoner of war camp, after a few years, I think it was, somebody came up to him and found him. He said, are you Louis Zamperini? And he said, yes. He said, well, I want to talk to you, because you kept me going through my... Um, when I was in the prisoner of war camp on that uh, execution island. I say, what do you mean? Well, so this man was in the same uh, room, he was put in the same room as Louis Zamperini was in before. And on the room, on the wall, was written nine names. And of these nine names, sorry, ten names were written. And the man in this, in this prisoner of war uh, cell said, who are these people? And the guards there said, well, nine of those men were executed. But what about the 10th, he asked? What about this Louis Zamperini? What happened to him? And they never told him. And he was in this camp where he thought everybody would die, but there was this name. And he thought, what happened to him? And this is what he said. Gareth spent so much of his time mulling over that last name on the wall, he thought, perhaps if that man had survived, so can I. See, there was hope. Not everybody has died. There is hope for the future. Somebody has survived, and if he survived, so can I. And that's why he wanted to find him in this next prisoner of war camp to say, the hope that you got out kept me going. See, we need a hope for the future to keep us going in the here and now. And what happens? Well, in this life, we put our hope in the wrong things, don't we? We put our hope in uh, things that won't last forever. So we can put our hope in good things like family and relationships and work and things and events. And we put our hopes in these things and then 
they can so often let us down and the truth is if we put our hope in anything that isn't eternal then one day they're going to leave us or we won't be with them anymore so today we want to pray that god would instill in us this glorious vision of heaven so that it will help us to keep going whatever darkness we face in this world and my prayer is that we will be excited about heaven by the end of this time together so often um, as christians we can get the wrong idea of heaven and get the wrong picture of it in our heads and so i wanted us to look at this glorious description in revelation 21. you see remember what Re who revelation was written to it wasn't written as puzzles for us to work out on um, on the future it was written to a struggling church a church that was facing immense persecution a church that was facing being thrown to the lion simply for believing in jesus a church that was believing um, and thinking that they at any moment they could be taken and killed they were just about to face nero coming into power and he was going to do horrendous things to christians so what did john show them to keep them going he showed them a vision of heaven he said this is where we're going keep your eyes on it so what does this uh, passage tell us about heaven well it tells us this uh, in heaven we have the life we long for the love we long for and the lord we long for they're the three headings for us today the life we long for the love we long for and the lord we long for let's think of that first one heaven tells us of the life we long for now i think if we're many of us are honest when we think about heaven it's a bit of a hazy thought in our mind isn't it uh, and and like i was talking when i was talking to the children earlier so often the thought of heaven doesn't really excite us uh, and we can kind of just think it's it sounds boring you might think it's just sound, is it just going to be a long church service you know and uh, you might enjoy coming to church but but just to do church all the time well isn't that gonna are we gonna get bored you know it can it be that exciting are we just gonna be floating around you know the carol that says um all in white shall wait around and we kind of think oh, that doesn't sound that exciting are we going to be in nighties on cloud what's it going to be like and it's just vague and but then you look at the bible and it tells us that's not what it will be like and this truth that we see summed up in that one phrase in the apostles creed tells us this we believe in the resurrection of the body it will be physical it will be things you can touch and see and taste we believe in a bodily resurrection so that means we won't be floating around it's not vague and spiritual but it is physical so look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 21 of revelation then i saw a new heaven and a new earth and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and i saw the holy city a new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband so john here sees something spectacular he sees the new heavens and the new uh, earth now notice this isn't isn't a new world this isn't a, another world but it's new and the word there means to newness in quality not in kind so a newness in quality not kind so if you have a new car what happens to the old car it gets scrapped doesn't it or got rid of but if you have a new kitchen in one sense it's still your old kitchen isn't it? it's the same kind of walls but you just have it's changed on the inside it's, it's the same but different that's the kind of newness we're talking about here it is a, a a kind of a newness in kind uh newness in what did i say sorry a newness in quality not in kind newness in quality not in kind so it takes out the rubbish and leaves the good leaves what you need well verse 2 look at it again i saw the holy city a new jerusalem coming down out of heaven 
from God. Now, when you look at Romans chapter 8, it tells us there about having a bodily resurrection, a physical resurrection, like Jesus' body was physically resurrected. Like he rose again, so one day will we. And think about what Jesus did with the disciples. They knew him, but he was, he was different. He was the same, but different. He ate with them. He showed them, look, I'm eating fish. The fish that you see on this plate will in a moment be gone because I'm a physical being. So he was the same, but different. And God's design for us is not to be floating angels forever, but to be physical, resurrected bodies in a world made new. We're humans. It means Satan doesn't win. It means this world will one day be fixed. Things will be different, yes, but things also will be similar. Now, Jesus was recognized, wasn't he? But he was different. And in the same way, that's our kind of that's our shape for what it tells us is the resurrection will be like. Now, can you imagine that just for a moment? The best things in this life without the rubbish. Those things that make our heart thrilled. You know, this world unleashed to its full potential. Whether that's food or sunsets or friends or music or art or laughter or love. The best things of this world without the tears and the sadness. This new creation will be a place where all the bad things are taken away. Look at verse 4. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. A place without tears. A place without sadness. A place without pain. A place without frustration. All the things that make us sad. All the causes of tears taking away. And that explains verse 1, by the way. As you read that, I know it often kind of makes us think, well, that's strange, isn't it? It says the sea was no more. And I love the sea. I, mean, I know many of us talk about loving the sea and just enjoying watching it. It's, it's wonderful to look at. I think, well, it always makes me a bit sad, some people might think, when you see there's going to be no sea in heaven. But remember, this isn't telling us about what's happening to the water cycle in heaven. It's telling us what heaven is. So it's picture language. It's symbolic. And in the Old Testament, the sea stands for everything that is chaotic and tumultuous. It is a threat. So in Daniel 7, you see there four beasts come out of the sea. Beasts would come and persecute God's people. In Revelation 13, you see the first of two beasts come out of the sea. Uh, the beast was sent by Satan, full of evil. So the sea is kind of foreboding. It's unknown. It's chaotic. Yeah, and evil would come out, could come out at any time. You know, even today, we don't know about over 80% of our ocean, what it is. And, and scientists are saying that they estimate between 700,000 and 1 million species in the ocean... Um, have yet to be discovered, and there's possibly more. We just don't even know now about the sea, so it's unknown. It's just this mysterious kind of threat. And so what it's saying is, symbolically, the sea will be no more, which says um, all evil, all possibility of evil, any threats, any danger will be taken away. That's why it says in, in chapter 22, when it tells us there that uh, there will no longer be anything accursed, in there it'll be safe if you read down about the new jerusalem in 21 9 and onwards it talks about there being the you know the the gates being open because there's no threat you know it is safe it will be no evil no temptation no struggles and isn't that glorious to think about think of that area of weakness where you struggle there won't be any struggle in heaven think about the doubts or the questions or the darkness that you sometimes go through there'll be none of that in heaven um, we'll be truly set free 
and no threat of any sin entering in. See, when we put these things together, a new earth, a new creation, this world made new, this world without the rubbish, suddenly we think, wow, that would be amazing. I know I've used this before, but I, I do love this illustration um, about uh, Lord of the Rings when they were filming it. Peter Jackson, who was the director, uh, or whoever was on his team doing this, they wanted Hobbiton to look idyllic. They wanted it to look glorious. That's when Frodo Baggins and all his friends lived. And so, if you look on the, when you watch the film, just the colours of the flowers are so bright and wonderful. How did they achieve it? Well, what they did was every morning they would inject the flowers with steroids. So these flowers would look kind of un unnaturally bright and glorious. The problem was by the afternoon they were dead, so they had to bring new ones in all the time. So don't inject your flowers with steroids unless you want to impress one visitor for about half an hour. Um, but that was the idea. So it was kind of like uh, flowers, but with extra brightness. You know, that might show us something of this world. It gives us glimmers, tastes of heaven. But then we will see it in glorious technicolor. Then we will see it in extra brightness. The colors will be brighter than ever before, as it were. The taste, the sounds, the smells, the, the joys and the thrills. The world that God made will be restored and renewed. And it will be good and God wins. Now maybe today, think of how that affects our life. So often we can have regrets about life. Maybe you look back and your life hasn't turned out how you thought it would be things you've missed out on, maybe things that situations and circumstances, nothing to do with your fault, you've just been robbed of experiences in your life. See what this shows us? This life isn't the only one we have. The big mantra of our world at the moment is, this is all you've got, make the most of it. And so if you miss out, that's it, you've had it. But the Bible says, no, 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 this is passing. This is shadow lands, as C.S. Lewis called it. The reality is heaven. The reality is the new creation, so don't worry. There's more to come. We're just passing through. And this is telling us, isn't it, as well, that this is a return to paradise. Remember how the Bible starts? God made everything and it was very good. And this is where we will be forever. The longing for this shows our frustrations with this life as well, doesn't it? You know, we long for better, don't we, in this life? We, we are frustrated when things are hard. We don't, you know, tears are horrible. Death is unimaginably painful. Why is that? Because it was never meant to be. We long for this. And as one writer said, heaven is that remote music that we were born remembering. You know, when you hear a tune and say, oh, I've heard that somewhere before. Where do I know that tune from? Well, the Bible says that heaven is a melody that we know deep in our hearts and we long for. So when we hear this description and our heart goes, oh, that would be amazing. Because God, this is what we were made for, deep down. You know, in um, C.S. Lewis in his last, don't listen to this, Thomas, because we're just coming to the end of uh, the last battle. But it was um, at the end, Narnia is recreated, spoiler alert, okay. And it was the, the unicorn summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right hoof on the ground and, say, and neighed and cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we loved old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Glimmers in this life, glory then. It's the life we long for. It's the first thing we see about heaven in this passage. The second thing is this. In heaven, we will experience the love we long for. Verse 2 of Revelation 21 can sound very strange, can't it? 
I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, so a city coming down from heaven. That's strange enough, but then we see this hit city is dressed up like a bride. Think, hang on now, is it a city or is it a bride? Well, God's answer is yes, it is. It's both because he is trying to tell us what it is, not so much what it will look like. So he's, the, the city of Jerusalem is, is, that's God's people. That's what it stands for. God's people, that's what it's shown us. God's people are adorned by her husband. John is saying, look, here are God's people. And they are being compared to this bride because, look at verse 9 of chapter 21. Uh, we see there, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Who is the bride of Christ? Who is um, the one who we see in the rest of the Bible? That's the church, God's people. So here is a picture of God's people. And it's amazing. We're about to be told all about the streets of gold. We're about to be told in um, chapter nine, 21, verses 9 down to 21. You can read that later. All this kind of glorious descriptions of, of the, the streets and the, the, the diamonds and the jewels and how beautiful it'll all look. But what does God want us to see? He says, I want you to notice my people, my bride. That's what he wants to talk about. And imagine the situation, this, uh, you're going to the big estate of a wealthy man, okay? And you're going to a party. And as you walk up the drive, you look at this amazing mansion and it is just breathtaking. You look at all his, his fleet of cars and they're the latest modern cars with all the mod cons in there. You see the glorious gardens and the fountain. You think, wow, this is amazing. And you meet the man. Uh, who owns all of this. And do you know what he can't stop speaking about? His wife. He just wants to talk about how great she is, how wonderful she is, how she's changed his life, how, how great she is. He can't wait for you to meet her because his pride and his joy is not the stuff, it's the bride, it's his wife. When it comes to this, what does God want us to see? Look at my people. Jesus says, the church is my bride. She's who I love. You are the ones I love. So remember, Christians are written to, um, sorry, Revelation was written to Christians who were going through just immense persecution, okay? And they were facing horrible, dark things. They were totally marginalized by Rome, hated and despised by most of the people around. And here, John gives them this picture of history and says, you know where you're headed? Not to be despised, but to be the bride of Christ, to be the one at the center to be loved with this immense love. It's amazing, isn't it, to think this is what they were going to experience. You are loved. That's what this is telling us. You are loved. Verse 2, remember, tells us that we will be prepared, adorned for her husband. We'll be clothed. Clothes provided not by ourselves, but by God. What's that talking about? But we're not clothed in our dirty attempts at being right or righteousness. We're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. It's his life, his perfection, and we are loved with the same love the Father has for the Son because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, if you're trusting in Jesus today, hear this. You are loved and you are accepted. You are forgiven, as we thought about last week. Sometimes we might think, oh, I'll if I get into heaven, I'll kind of sneak into the back, you know, and nobody, hopefully nobody will notice me, I'll just kind of say, no, no, you're front and center, you are his, his people, and he loves you, you are treasured. This is the love we need to experience and know. We haven't earned it, we've been given this. It is free from God. 
God's people deeply loved, the bride of Christ. Now, just to kind of make that hit home in our heart, to apply that to our lives, maybe again in this life you feel you've missed out. Maybe you long to be married but never have been. Maybe you've been married but it's not what you thought. Or perhaps you've been betrayed or hurt in a relationship and just that's all, all soured. There's a wedding day to come, your wedding day, and Christ is the groom and you are the bride. And you are loved with that love. You are his pride and his joy. You will not miss out because you are the apple of his eye. This is the love that God has for us. Here is a deep love. A love that loves us to the core. A love that loves us deep into our heart. You know, so often we pretend with others, don't we? We often, you know, I remember before we had to wear masks to church, we'd often say, wouldn't we, it's very easy for us to wear a mask to church. <laughs> no, we have to legally. But we do put on a pretense, don't we? Say, I think everything's fine, I'm not struggling, I'm okay. But actually, the reality is so often we pretend. And not just in church, but in life. Think of social media, it's kind of built on this, you know, one of the reasons it's so popular is because I can, I'm in control of what people can see. I can show them the best of my life and everybody will think that I'm doing great when the reality is I'm struggling and I'm finding things hard. I'll just show the children smiling, I won't show them screaming. I'll just show my, show my home when it's in perfect, neat order, not when it's a mess. I'll just show me smiling, not me crying. Because we like to wear a mask. We like to pretend we're somebody else because we think if somebody knew the real me, they don't, won't love me. They won't like the real me. God knows the real you. He knows all the dark parts, all the sad parts, and still he says, I love you. Still he says, come. This is the love we long for, not a pretend love, not a fake love, not superficial love, a deep love. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning, not a Christian. Can you hear how wonderful that love is? A love that loves you no matter what. That's the love that God offers. He doesn't pretend you've never done any wrong. He knows all about it. He's forgiven it if you trust in him. That's all you have to do is come and put your trust in Jesus and he will cleanse you and wash you clean. And you can be accepted. You can be clothed in this righteousness of Christ so that we are accepted in him, not in our own works. This is the love we long for, the deep, satisfying love. And the problem is we know we long for this love, but we try and find it in so many other places. We want it from somebody else maybe and we're investing and hoping that somebody else will show us this kind of love and they let us down. We can only know deep love and satisfaction through Jesus. So the life we long for, we find in heaven. The love we long for, we find in heaven. But without this last bit, it's all pointless. Because in heaven, we also encounter the Lord we long for. Look at verse 3 with me of chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will be with us in heaven. And we will know the reality of his presence forever. We will never doubt him again. Never doubt his reality. Never doubt his love. He is the one who will wipe every tear from our eyes. And the grand kind of theme of this passage is, look who is present with us in heaven. Look who we will be with. 
the dwelling place, verse 3, of God is with man. God tabernacles with his people. That will be picking up that theme, won't we, over the Christmas period, thinking of John 1, the word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. We didn't read this section um, because we're not going to be able to go into much detail on it, but in that passage in, in, um, verse, in chapter 21, look at verses 15 and 16. There we see that um, the one who spoke had a measuring rod of gold, and he measures the city of Jerusalem, of the new Jerusalem. And look how he measures it. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Now, so if you've got a three, 3D shape where all the lines are equal, what have you got? You've got a cube. Now, again, this is not literal, but it's telling us something about the new Jerusalem. Where else in the Bible do we see a cube? What else is described as being a cube? Well, we go to the Old Testament and we see um, that in the tabernacle, there in the Holy of Holies, read the measurements, we've got a cube. What was the Holy of Holies? That was God's place where he says, I dwell here in a special way. The tabernacle, or the temple, which became the temple, was God's way of saying to his people, I want to be near you. So when they traveled through the wilderness, what was in the center of the camp? The tabernacle. I'm with you, he said. But it also said this, but access to me is limited. I, I'm near you, but actually I need to protect you from my presence because I'm holy and I'm a consuming fire. If you go near to the sun, what happens? It'll consume. Its nature is to consume. If we go near a holy God in our unholiness, we will be consumed. So God wanted to protect us and said, I love you and I'm with you, but you need to enter my presence on my terms. That was what the cube was, the holy of holies. So here, what do we see? Well, verse 22 tells us there's no temple, but it's in the shape of a cube. Let's put these things together. Do you see what God is telling us? I will be with you. I will, you will be in the temple. My presence will be everywhere. Verse 23, there'd be no need for moon or sun. Not literally, but just saying God is light. The brightness of the glory of God will be everywhere. He won't have to veil himself. He won't have to shield himself off. We can enjoy his presence in reality and in the fullness. Chapter 22, you see there we're told of the tree and the river of life. and We have access to it. Where did we see the tree and river of life before? In Eden. And now we have access back. And God is telling us this is paradise restored. This is what you were made for. And what happened in Eden? Adam and God walked in the cool of the day. They had a relationship. They were near. They were close. But then sin came in. And so God said, there's access to me is limited. But here, access is now opened. And look at verse 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 4, perhaps the highlight of this passage. They will see his face. We will see his face. We will see him. We will be with him. And that is face to face, this relational nearness, this intimacy. If you're a Christian this morning, you will know what it is to have times where God draws near. Times where he assures you of his presence and his love. Times maybe in the midst of storms in your life, God just draws near and says, I love you, I'm with you, and I'm for you. Maybe times where you're reading God's word and he just speaks to you. 
times where you're in a service together you're singing or you're hearing from the bible and you just you're assured of god's love for you his presence and those moments are sweet aren't they and we long for them more and more but those moments come and they go in heaven those moments will just come and stay and they will never go we will never doubt him no ambiguity wonderful intimacy that we were created for we will know and wherever we go in the new creation we will be aware of his glorious presence this is how spurgeon wrote about it he just puts things so much better than i could let me read these words even the sweetest of visits from christ how short they are how transitory one moment our eyes see him and we rejoice with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory but again a little time and we do not see him for our beloved withdraws himself from us oh how sweet the prospect of the time when we shall not behold him at a distance but see him face to face when he shall eternally enfold us in the bosom of his glory in that eternal future there shall be no interruptions from care or sin no weeping shall dim our eyes no earthly business shall distract our happy thoughts we shall have nothing to hinder us from gazing forever on the sun of righteousness with unwearied eyes we get to know love and enjoy god forever and he is the being who we will never get bored of never get tired of and our focus will be on him the lord we long for and were created to know I watched a program a couple of years ago now called the good place i was very interested in uh, how it would depict it's about talks about heaven but it talks about heaven in lots of interesting ways and um it's a very interesting program on many levels it's supposed to be a comedy but there's lots of things going on but throughout it all there's no god really god doesn't come into it it's just a, a place where good people go and you know a spoiler alert really so uh, you know if you do watch it i am spoiling this for you but it has the most depressing ending I have seen in a TV program for a long time. Because heaven for them was all about doing what you went to do. Kind of satisfying yourself. And do you know what happened? Once they got to the good place, they got bored. They did everything they wanted, and they were bored. And so at the end, they're like, well, what do we do now? Just so depressing. I won't spoil quite the ending, just so you can see that. But it is just so dark, I think. A program about heaven ends with, oh, I'm bored the glorious thing about heaven here in the bible is it is not about our desires and what we want and what we can do but actually it's about jesus it's about knowing him and getting to know him better it's about encountering the living god and knowing this being who will never get bored of who will there's always more to know of and we can always go deeper and further into we will know and love and serve him and that's what life is about that is why just pleasing ourselves in this life will never satisfy that is why it is an upside down kingdom we're part of serve others love others and that's where true life is found even though we might be tired even though we might be at the end of our tether with things serving others and having our eyes focused outwards rather than inwards is the true way to life because that's how god is and that's how we were created to be now maybe this morning you're here and you're not a christian we've been talking about heaven talking about this lord that we long for and you're not sure if you're going let me say this and underline this heaven is not for people who've got it sorted 
Heaven is not for people who, fingers crossed, can be good enough, like that program I was telling you kind of sums it up in. You need to have a certain level of goodness to reach the good place. No, it is about uh, trusting in what Jesus has done for you. It is not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done. And just very quickly as we close, look at this. In verse six, who is this for? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life. Who has access to this um, to this well of life, to, the, to heaven. Those who are thirsty and he will give without payment. What do you need to have to get to heaven? Thirst, a need, and then God provides. You just come saying, God, I can't do this. I want to be there. I hear this, this happy ending that this Bible talks of. I want to be part of it. And I need Jesus and I can't do this on my own. We come thirsty and God's grace fills the rest up. And as well, who do we hear of time and time again? As you read through the whole book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 3 tells us there as well, it is all about the Lamb. At the center of heaven is the Lamb. And earlier in Revelation, it tells us, as you look on this Lamb, you notice He's the Lamb that has been slain. At the center of heaven, we will be reminded time and time again, Jesus died. He took our place. The lamb in the Bible is the substitute, the one who took the place of the firstborn in the Exodus, in the Passover. Jesus was my lamb. He took my punishment so that I can experience all of his goodness and mercy and grace. As John pointed out, behold, the lamb of the world who takes away, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So in heaven, we don't get there by good works. We don't get there by fingers crossed doing enough religious rituals. We get there by trusting in the lamb who was slain and we come thirsty saying, God, I need you. And his water of life fills us without payment. It is grace, grace, grace. And we'll be in glory together looking at each other saying, what did we do to deserve this? Jesus has done it all. All glory to him, not to us. He's at the center. He is the one who satisfies. He is the one we live for. We can't earn this. So, if you're not a Christian, how do you know you can go to heaven? You trust in Jesus and plead for him to, uh, to save you and rescue you, and he will. He doesn't turn anyone away. There's always room in God's house. But if you are a Christian, can you rejoice in this news that we thought about this morning? Rejoice that one day we will know the life we long for, the love we long for, and we'll be with the Lord we've longed for all our lives. See, when the early Christians were given this hope, it changed the world because they laid down their lives for others. They willingly sacrificed of their health to serve others. They kept telling others boldly, even though Rome was saying, don't you dare, they kept going because they knew, I'm on my way to glory. I'm living for then, and that changed their lives in the now. Let's keep our eyes on what is eternal because that is forever. And things that are uh, not eternal, they're passing. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. So let me pray as we come to sing our last hymn together. Father, we pray, please, that you would make us people focused on Jesus and focused on forever. We know, Lord, we can get so easily distracted by, by the um, realities of the here and now and the noise of the here and now. But we pray you'd help us to turn the volume up on eternity, on heaven, so that that is sounding loud and clear in our hearts and minds, and so that we can live for you and live for your glory. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.